Keith here. We've got a great lounge for you this month. Our plan is to spend this season focusing on ways to help you achieve your goals. We've got the same great music, entertaining radio theater, and interviews, but we're on a mission to get you where you want to go with humor and heart. If you get something valuable out of this podcast, we hope you'll take a moment to share a little something with us. Head to livefromthelounge.podcast.com, click the donate button, and slip us five bucks if you can, or ten, or a hundred. We're not picky, just grateful. Thanks for listening. Hey there, welcome to the lounge. I'm your host, Keith Farley, hoping that Cupid, the winged baby boy of Venus, hunts you down and fires an arrow into your heart, causing you to let go of all inhibitions so that you might fall deeply and madly in love with life and all the people who surround you. To that end, we've got another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the seasons. Our lounge today is all about letting go. Carol Almos will be along shortly to tell a story about being part of the Great Resignation. I'll talk with Catherine Venable about her continuing recovery from the loss of her dearest love. Double Batch Daddy debut a new song about taking the 101 way to discover a deeper love in the face of loss. Anne Kloss Farley and I will talk about leaving the Beatles behind as we look at a pair of documentaries about their breakup. We welcome Val Vigoda and Ryan O'Connell to the lounge with their take on one of the greatest songs about moving on that's ever been written. And we'll talk a little bit later about letting shit go. In some cases, quite literally. So, here we are. Smack dab in the middle of winter. It's a bit brighter than it was a couple of months ago. Sunrise in Los Angeles came at 6.39, and it sets at 5.35 this evening. But it feels like we've been stuck in the dark forever, doesn't it? If the year were a day, February is the darkest and coldest part of the night, the moments that come right before dawn. It is good and right, therefore, to celebrate and engage in as much snuggling and snoozing as possible before the world's alarm clock goes off next month. We celebrate our presidents in February. Well, two of them, at least. Uh, George Washington, who said, Be courteous to all, but intimate with few. And Abraham Lincoln, who said, Whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery... I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. February is also Black History Month, and rather than offer a passing nod or an inspirational quote or two, I invite you to join me in taking the time this month to engage with the 1619 Project, which started as a piece for the New York Times Sunday Magazine and has now grown into a book, a podcast, and a collection of resources whose mission is to, quote, illuminate the legacy of slavery in the contemporary United States and highlight the contributions of black Americans to every aspect of American society. For all that there is to recommend about February, let's be honest, it's a weird month. It's shorter than the other months, and you can't even be sure it's going to have the same number of days from one year to the next. It's cold. It's dark. It's the time of year when our patience with darkness and coldness is running thin. 
The trees are devoid of leaves and have been for months. The ground is hard and unwelcoming, just like it was in January and December before that. It's all cabbage, kale, and cauliflower in February. If it weren't for citrus fruits, which are still in season, the world in February would be almost unbearable. For February is a month of sacrifice. It's austere and demanding. As short as it is, it often seems to go on forever. It's tempting to sleep right through it, to wish it away. But there is a gift waiting for us in February, my friends, and it's more than candy, kisses, and canoodles. It's the gift of letting go. If we are brave enough to recognize the darkness that's holding us down and strong enough to release it, we'll find that we're unburdened by fear and doubt once it's time to spring into action. So, hold tight to the ones you love, tell them how much they mean to you, honor those who strove to create a more perfect union, and look for the gift in the darkness of February and find a way maybe the 101 way, to take the lemons life gives us this month and drink deeply the local lemonade. I want it one way It's never just one way So I go the one-on-one way Back to you You want it one way It's never just one way So let's go the one-on-one way And merge the two Just when I figured life would be figured out Life takes a wide turn down Conejo grade Just when I figured love would be figured out Love squeezes lemons for some lemonade I want it one Never just one
The Great Resignation started in early 2021, when workers got fed up with working jobs that paid them too little or drove them too hard, and they just up and quit. In droves. Here's Carol Almos with the story of a job that involves both literal and figurative poo-poo. It's Monday morning and you're driving to work, listening to calm, soothing music. You need to get in the right frame of mind. Friends frequently comment that you have the best job in the world because you get to work with cute animals. And it is great to work for animals. It's not an exaggeration to say that on the good days, your work helps to save lives and makes the world a better place. Yes, it's a very, very meaningful, impactful job. And you hate it more and more every day. You park your car and take a breath before opening the door and walking into the building. You take your keys out of your pocket and open the door of your office. You hear a throat clear behind you. You turn to see the custodian standing six feet away, staring at you. Oh, good morning. No, you are the one. You put your trash in my trash can and it smells bad. I'm sorry, what? They tell me it is you. You put your trash in my trash, and there is dog poo-poo. So much dog poo-poo, and it smells bad. I I don't know what you're talking about. The poo-poo. There is a lot of it. It is you who are putting it in my trash, and you cannot do that. They told me it is you. I'm sorry, who told you this? What is happening? You put your poo-poo in my trash. I know you did. They told me. You think I'm putting my trash into your trash can? You are doing that. And it makes my trash smell bad. There is poo-poo in the trash! The two of you stand staring at each other for a moment. I am not putting my garbage in your garbage. But I promise you, I also won't do it in the future. 
The custodian stares at you for a moment more. She doesn't believe you. And then she walks away. You stand frozen in front of your office door as several questions run through your mind simultaneously. Why is she upset that there's poo-poo in a trash can? Poo-poo is part of the deal. Why is she so insistent that it's you who put it there? Who told her that? And why? Why you? Even though it seems crazy that someone singled you out for this accusation, it also seems entirely plausible. It tracks. Your work environment is a snake pit. Everyone is angry at everyone else, and you're in the middle of it, so much of that anger gets directed at you. And it's wearing you down. How might this conversation have gone in a place that wasn't a snake pit? Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but can I ask you a question? Sure. Have you been putting your trash in my trash can? Um, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Have a good day. <laughs> okay, you too. But that's not how it went at all. The questions continue. You're angry. Why are you angry? Is it because the custodian falsely accused you? Is it because she embarrassed you by unfairly dressing you down loudly around a bunch of other offices where people probably overheard the whole thing? Is it because you righteously feel that you've always gone out of your way to be nice to her? Speaking of that, maybe you shouldn't be so proud of yourself for that. Maybe your privilege is showing. Are you even allowed to get angry at this woman who has such a tough job? You think about that one for a while. Yes, you can be angry. Just then, a coworker comes out of her office and you lock eyes. Did you hear that? No. What? The custodian just bawled me out for supposedly putting poo-poo in her trash can. Oh, yeah, I knew about that. She told me you were doing that. She wanted to know your name. What? She talked to you about it? Yeah, yeah. She asked me what your name was, and she said you put poo-poo in her trash can. What the fuck? Well, don't even worry about it. Who told her I was doing that? Who knows? Don't worry about it. You take this stuff too seriously. But why is one of my coworkers telling the custodian that I'm putting poo-poo in her trash can? Why me? Who knows? You know what people are like around here. You gotta stop letting any of this bullshit get to you. You let it get to you too much. As you open the door to your office and take a seat behind your desk, you acknowledge that, yes, it does get to you. It gets to you that there are people who roll their eyes or make snide comments when you speak in a meeting. It gets to you that some people don't say hello back to you. It gets to you that someone you work with every day said to the custodian, I know who's putting the poo-poo in your trash can, and it's that bitch right over there. It all gets to you. The truth is, right now you do want to put poo-poo in the custodian's garbage can. Lots of it. Piles and piles of poo-poo. You'd like to go leave a fresh poo-poo of your own for her right now. You'd like to find out who told her it was you and leave a poo-poo for them as well. In their wastebasket. In their top drawer between the pens and the paper clips. In their coffee mug. Your mind wanders back to junior high. You had a group of girlfriends who made you feel this way. There was a queen bee, a bully, a 
psychological torturer. And you and the others in your group were desperate to get close to her. One time you were all riding in her mother's car on your way to a slumber party to celebrate her birthday, and the queen bee turned to you. You're ruining my birthday. You were ambushed by this announcement. You were just sitting there like a lump, like everyone else. Was she singling out a weak member so everyone else could attack? Hard to say. No one attacked, but also no one defended you, that's for sure. So after a stunned moment with as much dignity and gravitas as a 13-year-old can muster, you said, Mrs. Dement, I want you to take me home right now. <laughs> what? Oh, no, 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 my dear. We have a lovely party planned and no way are you going to miss it. So you were driven like a hostage to the party and you sat there soaking in your anger. You gritted your teeth as you mustered a smile. You laid in your sleeping bag in the dark, surrounded by people you had grown to hate. That was 40 years ago. Now you're sitting quietly at your desk, staring at the wall. You're about to join the Great Resignation. You're not staying at this shitty party any longer. And you've decided after months of wondering that it's not you, it's the job. It's not a personal failure that it gets to you. It's not a personal failure that you can't get used to being treated like, well, poo-poo. You are fucking out of here. There is a giddiness at the end of a relationship where you are concentrating only on all the things that piss you off. You know you're leaving and it gives you a sort of power Anything they say to you, anything they do, you just think, whatever, asshole. I'm already gone, and good luck finding another me. But unfortunately, that feeling can't last forever. You eventually are going to get hit with the hurt feelings, the rage that doesn't feel so fun and powerful, and the self-doubt, the memories of the good times that make you wonder if you really needed to end it. It feels like a divorce. It feels like a death. But it's not. It's a job. Your job. It was your job. And you're breaking up with it. It's exciting. And it's necessary. And it's hard. Good luck to all my fellow resigners. I hope we all find what we're looking for. The fact is, you don't have to take shit from anybody. You know Al Gore is the former vice president of the United States, but did you remember that he's also an Oscar winner? The 2006 film An Inconvenient Truth won the Oscar for Best Documentary of 2006. In it... Mr. Gore presented a slideshow that explained the science behind climate change. In the 14 years since his Oscar win, Mr. Gore and his scientific advisors have been constantly updating that slideshow with the most current information on the science, on the insane weather events happening all over the world, but also on the positive changes taking place that give reasons for optimism. 
Now, what if I told you you could get your very own presentation of this new slideshow by someone personally trained by former Vice President Gore? What if I told you they could present to your club, church, community group, or any other gathering you could think of, small or large? What if I told you they could present it over Zoom and that they'd do it for free? Well, it's all true. And all you have to do to schedule a presentation is email your request to the Los Angeles chapter of the Climate Reality Project at laclimatereality at gmail.com. That's laclimatereality at gmail.com. And to learn more about all the other wonderful work happening in the L.A. chapter of the Climate Reality Project, visit www.laclimatereality.org. Welcome back. Welcome back, Keith. Welcome back, Anne. It's time for dinner and a movie with Keith and Anne. It's so perfect because it's almost time for dinner. The hunger is growing. Mm -hmm. And then after dinner, maybe we'll watch a movie. So... Here we are in February. We've got some stuff we want to talk about, but big movie news. The Oscars were announced this week. And I thought we would just take a second and just run down the uh, Best Picture nominees and just a quick Rorschach. If we must. I think we must. I think it's important. So we haven't seen Belfast or Drive My Car but we have seen the others. And I'll start with Nightmare Alley. I don't understand why this movie needed to be remade because the original is perfect. Go see it on HBO. I think it's true. I think, you know, the original version had um, anticipation. It had the aggressiveness. It had the pain and the stakes. And the new one has no stakes whatsoever. Uh, moving on to Don't Look Up. What did you think? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I thought it made me want to go back and look at real satires like Being There, Network, Dr. Strangelove, uh, even Adam McKay's earlier movies, Anchorman. Anchorman 2 are actually funny satirical comedies. Yeah, this one was on the nose and it took too long to get to the very last scene, which is all the movies were. Beautiful final scene. Uh, Dune. I guess. <laughs> I will only say Dune is a great movie, provided you go to see it in the largest, loudest movie theater you can find. Yeah, if you treat it like you're going to the opera on Sunday, it is the best. Licorice Pizza. Loved it. It's just a great feel-good, feel-awkward movie about what it's like to feel good and awkward in 1973. I think it's the best description of an era and all its foibles, as well as the normalcy of finding someone that you love in unexpected ways. The Power of the Dog. Yep, 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 yep. Which Powerful. I thought was not only the best movie I saw last year, but maybe one of the best movies ever made. Oof. And repeat viewing, it, it only gets better. West Side Story. Ah, nope, 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 nope. My thought was, when did Steven Spielberg forget how to direct actors? I expect that from George Lucas, but not from Sir Steven. It, it was painfully inadequate compared to the original and did not need to um, correct any of the political incorrectness of the first one, because the first one really does show itself and its vulnerability of the time all by itself perfectly. King Richard. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. One of the great performances of the year. Will Smith was terrific. Really well written, nicely structured, and well directed. Best biopic I've ever seen um, of living legends like we have in Venus and, and Serena and just the ode to a beautiful storytelling of, of a family that raises itself up. And Coda. 
Love it, love it, love it, love it. Inclusive. I lo- just loved everything about it. I thought Coda was a nice movie, but not a great one. And I would recommend that you see it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about The Beatles. Um, because they've been on everybody's mind lately with the Get Back documentary, three-parter by Peter Jackson, chronicling the creation of the Let It Be album. Peter Jackson took a 90-minute movie and made it a nine-hour movie. I felt like I was sitting at the library with a person who has a catalog mind taking me blow by blow through a painful rehearsal. I found myself um, stretching out on the floor halfway through, uh, pulling out my hair. It's, it's really hard to watch um, a very famous band go through a midlife crisis at 28, but I, I just found it painful. There were moments of like, you know, sheer epiphany about the way they work. Um, but at the same time, I felt literally felt like I was in the popular club's room and no one wanted you to be there. And I will say what I said to you after we watched that second episode is that George Harrison walks out at the end of the first episode and he's gone for a big chunk of the second episode and you watch them sort of flounder for a couple of days when George hightails it back to Liverpool. I know I wanted to go with him. I'm like, George, take me with you too. I don't want to be in this room either. (laughs) And he comes back a couple of days later and then there's a couple of meetings up at George's house that we know nothing about because no cameras, no microphones, no nothing. But afterwards, they're in the studio. The studio gets built, and that's when George comes back. Which brings us to the movie that we want to recommend that you go out and see this month, which is um, the biography of George Harrison uh, that Martin Scorsese did for HBO Films. It's called Living in the Material World. In the Material World. world. It's a great accompaniment to get back because then you watch George go on a journey of the artistry of connecting spirit and mind, even though the Beatles work is collectively like, you know, brilliant. George goes on this spiritual journey to become the fulfilled artist. And so it's a really great companion piece to growth. But George takes with him Ringo Starr. George takes with him Billy Preston. So you basically have three-fifths of the Beatles Mm -hmm. um, from Abbey Road and Let It Be are the core of George's new band, which is enormous. And then he he partners up with uh, Bob Dylan and Roy Orbison and Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne and creates the Traveling Wilburys. And then he creates a film company that produces movies like With Nail and I and Life of Brian. Yep. He's all over the place, doing everything. Well, that's a, that's a true artist. When you let go of your ego and then you're able to collaborate and share and create other great art. He was part of the greatest band of all time. And then to say, okay, I'm going to create another band at the level where I want to go. And those names just are epic. And so letting go of that other life to be able to go into the spiritual rock and roll realm and be with the ultimate you know, group of musicians it just says so much about his musicianship and and his artistry and how it grows to the end. So, like I said, it's a great companion piece to get back. We sort of saw them in reverse order. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of sparked in me like, aha, this is where George walked out. This is where George let go of the Beatles and then right. demanded 
I think, certain things in those unknown meetings at George's house to say, no, we need to be in a proper recording studio and we need to get this thing done. Right. You kind of see it during Get Back. There's an obvious couple of scenes where you're like, oh, yeah, he's already decided where he's headed. And and then there's strength in that decision so that he could be back in the room. That was kind of cool to watch, to have seen the George Harrison documentary first and then go back to get back with that lens. And what's the name of the first solo record that he makes? All Things Must Pass. Yep. And throughout this documentary, Scorsese keeps it alive for you, this idea that all things must pass, that George is about letting go. You keep coming back to his spiritual practice. You keep coming back to his preparation for the day when he'll no longer be with us. And when they're attacked in their home, he and his wife, by this intruder that comes in, George thinks, oh, wow, is it time for me to start my transition? He's ready to go. And they say that when he finally, after a battle with cancer, when he finally did go, that it was like the room lit up. That was a path that he chose, that he was going to give himself the brain space and the body space to to create beautiful music and to have a healthy life, which you don't hear about for musicians. So if you've got the time... Take a look at the two-part George Harrison documentary called Living in the Material World. It's on HBO Max, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, It's uh, three and a half hours that we cannot recommend enough. (laughs) (laughs) And it's about a third of the length of Get Back. I recommend Get Back-ish. As far as food goes, I don't know that there's anything that I could really pair with George Harrison. No, I would say uh, yellow submarine, you do submarine sandwiches, and that's like you can make a sandwich any way you want, really. Bacon, LSD, and tomato. Yeah, that's it. That's it. (laughs) Well, we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, What food would you pair with George Harrison living in the material world? Let us know. We're at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. In the late 80s and early 90s, I lived a fairly bohemian existence in a little enclave in Hollywood. There were two two two-bedroom townhouses on the street, and behind them was a one-bedroom house connected to a three-bedroom house, all surrounding a little courtyard. The rents were low, and the creativity was high. Bat Boy the Musical was born there. Tenacious D spawned in my living room. The late Shannon Hoon of the alt-pop band Blind Melon lived up front for a while, and an assistant for the Red Hot Chili Peppers occupied the little house in the middle. We were all moderately employed artists trying to make our mark in show business, but we were also activists who dreamed of electric cars, solar power, gay rights, legal weed, and buying organic produce at the local Ralph's. We saw chiropractors and acupuncturists before they were cool. We took vitamins and healing herbs. We also experimented with mind-altering substances and esoteric spiritual practices. At some point, one of our group discovered the author Louise Hay. Louise Hay made her name in the alternative medicine field with a book called You Can Heal Your Life. 
which is basically just a collection of little affirmations that you say to yourself in order to align your mind with positivity. Sayings like, I am in the process of positive change, or I forgive myself and set myself free, are easy to remember and pleasant to repeat. Whether they heal your life is debatable, but like prayer and mantras and meditation, they certainly don't hurt. She's got a million of them, and they've all been categorized for various situational applications. There's one little affirmation that's been running through my mind lately. It's the one that made us laugh out loud. Louise Hay recommends saying the following affirmation to yourself when you're on the toilet. I freely and easily release that which I no longer need in life. We quoted this one often. To wit, Excuse me, I'll be spending the next five to seven minutes freely and easily releasing that which I no longer need in life while I read the latest copy of Spy magazine. As we approach Mardi Gras and the season of Lent, the idea of letting go is in the zeitgeist. I remember the time I spent in a church youth group in Sacramento. We understood Lent to be a time of the year when you had to give up something you loved for 40 days to experience a little bit of Jesus' suffering. On Easter Sunday, you were free to reincorporate the thing you gave up as a celebration of the resurrection. The competition among the more pious among us was fierce. Who would be the one who sacrificed the most? Today, the kids call this virtue signaling, which is a great term. We didn't have a name for it back then, but in the weeks leading up to Ash Wednesday, our little group would be abuzz with, what are you giving up for Lent? I'm giving up, um, I'm giving up soft drinks. Oh, that's cool. I'm giving up sugar. Oh, nice. I'm giving up sugar and red meat. Well, I'm going totally vegan, plus I'm giving up TV so I can spend more time in study and prayer. Actually, I'm not giving anything up. I'm adding more kindness and compassion to my life. The other component of this period of austerity that fits with Lent like a hand in a glove is the festival of Fat Tuesday, or Mardi Gras. The idea here is that we have a really big party, a super bacchanal with a big parade, plus food and booze and dancing and sex and a cake with a baby in it. This festival is designed to, quote, get it all out before the austere days of Lent begin on Ash Wednesday. What's the opposite of virtue signaling? A depravity nod? Shadow feeding? Vice play? Whatever you call it, it caused me to wonder exactly how many Fat Tuesday revelers find their way to Ash Wednesday services and how many austere Lent enthusiasts will you find in the French Quarter Fat Tuesday night. I suspect that the Venn diagram of these two communities barely overlaps at all. Which brings me back to Louise Hay on the toilet. February is an excellent time to freely and easily release that which we no longer need in life. Or, put another way, it's a good time to let shit go. If you're a regular listener, 
You'll remember that last month, I talked about a phrase I use to indicate my commitment to an activity or cause. I say, I'm taking this train all the way to Topeka. It even inspired Double Batch Daddy to write me a theme song. I thought it might be fun for us to explore the process of setting goals and going after them by actually planning a train trip that takes us all the way to Topeka. Last month we dreamed up the trip. This month we're looking at the feasibility of the plan. To recap, the Spirit of Kansas Blues Festival takes place on the shores of Lake Shawnee on July 4th. My plan is to take the Amtrak train all the way to Topeka and to fly back. I've made a list of attractions I want to visit over the weekend, which will culminate in the music festival on Monday, July 4th. Here's the deal, though. The train leaves L.A. at dinner time and arrives at 5 a.m. two days later. The coach seat is about 150 bucks, but that means I'm sleeping two nights in a coach seat. I'd rather have a private Amtrak roomette, thank you very much, which includes a proper bed and excellent meals in the dining car. But that's going to be four times the cost. Now, it's still a decent deal. If you figure two nights in a hotel could easily run 250 and breakfast, lunch, and two dinners, including a cocktail, beer, or wine, in a decent restaurant could run another 200 it all shakes out. The problem is that the extra 450 is exploding my budget. Something's got to give. I could release the idea of train travel altogether, but I've already said that I'm taking this train all the way to Topeka. I have to take the train. I could release the idea of a roomette, but all it takes is one loud sleeper to ruin two nights of sleep and potentially the entire weekend. I could modify my accommodations while I'm in Topeka, but I already decided to keep the accommodation simple since I'm planning to be out and about most of the time. Releasing any of these options does not feel free and easy to me, Louise. Instead, what if I can find a hundred bucks of savings in my monthly budget for the next four months? Honestly, if I rethink my expendable income, If I curb concert, movie, and theater tickets, or just skip the trip to the concession stand, I mean, who really enjoys spending 20 bucks for a beer anyway? That'll get me started. And if I can eliminate eating out or ordering in once or twice a month, I think I can find that extra money pretty easily. And every time the austerity starts to feel like a burden, I'll remind myself that I'm making room for green chili cheese tamales with a flat iron steak and cheesecake, plus a Tito's martini in the dining car as the train passes through San Bernardino and the porter converts my seats into a bed. The sacrifice in the here and now is making room for something wonderful in the future. And that's as it should be. Anything that's worth doing or having is likely to require an element of sacrifice in order to make it real. 
If your 2022 goals are fitness-related, you'll need to sacrifice time and energy. 30 minutes of cardio each day and maybe a workout with weights three times a week, that's going to gobble up at least six hours of your week. You need to release that time somehow. But keep in mind that you're going to look and feel great if you stick with it. If your goals are weight-related, you'll need to learn to give up extra calories or carbs or chips and candy and Coke. But the sacrifice will be worth it when you put on the dress or strip down to the swimsuit. But what about the times when letting go seems anything but free and easy? If you struggle with addiction or if you're in a relationship that you need to let go of, the challenge can seem overwhelming. The fact is, sometimes letting go is just too daunting to attempt alone. You'll need the support of a community. Fortunately, there are groups you can join for everything from dieting to triathlon training, from 12-step programs to survivor groups of all kinds. If it feels like your sacrifice is too much to handle on your own, it's wise to seek out people who've traveled the roads ahead of you, who are willing and eager to guide you to the freedom you seek. In the cycle of the seasons, the cycle that moves from birth through growth to withering and ultimately to death that leads to new birth, we're in the passing away part of the cycle. We don't talk about it much. It's the part that we're most afraid of, perhaps. But passing away is forever happening. And we're wise to spend a little time this time of year honoring what's naturally fading away and to be mindful of which things we need to intentionally and actively let go of in our lives. And to do it all as freely and easily as possible. What are you letting go of this winter? How are you doing it with grace and ease? Let us know on our social media accounts or drop us an email at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. When we lost Brad Venable last year, I was devastated. It was so sudden and he was so young. I was in a state of shock for weeks. Brad came to Los Angeles with his wife, Catherine, to pursue a career in voiceover. We met on the picket line during the video game strike of 2016. Brad shared with me his story of nearly losing his voice after a particularly grueling session screaming his head off playing a soldier in a video game. And I don't mean he was hoarse for a couple of days. Brad almost lost his voice in that session. Forever. After that, Brad became a fierce advocate for vocal health for actors. He and I were part of the National Voiceover Committee at SAG-AFTRA and were members of the Voiceover Collective, which Brad helped create, which is an informal group of vocal performers who get together to share support and resources with each other. Brad was as selfless, kind, and generous a human being as I've ever known. And I miss him every time I show up at a meeting and he's not there. Or I direct an actor playing a character he created for a video game. Brad's been gone for just over a year now, and I want to introduce you to his widow, 
Catherine. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this, and I'm so glad you came over to do it so I can sit across from you and have this time with you. It really means a lot to me, so thank you in advance. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. You lost Brad suddenly. Yes. About a year ago. Mm -hmm. For me, I think the hardest way to let go is to have something ripped from you that it wasn't like you got a chance to prepare or talk about it. Brad was 42? 43. 43 when he passed. So smack dab in the middle of his life. Yes. The shock of that must have made letting go really difficult. And I know that right after someone passes away, things get kind of hectic. Yes. And that got overwhelming because it was Brad. It was Brad. And he has a thousand friends and everyone's reaching out. And it was like, this is so wonderful. But at a po- at one point, I was like, I can't take any more. How are you? What can I do? Like, I don't know. I have no idea what you can do and what I need. And I need Brad back. Like, I need, like, I remember not being able to breathe just because it was so much despair and so much just not able to comprehend um, what was going on. My cousin has a daughter with Down syndrome, and I don't know what it is, but through my whole life, being around people with Down syndrome, there's like this comfort and this joy, and she doesn't warm up to strangers, and she hardly knows me, but she came right up to me, and she let me hold her, and there's there was something in that moment, in that evening, to be able to not release my pain to her, but just to like have her her little joy, joyous spirit. So I don't know um, how people do it because I I literally lost my mind. Um, just the suddenness um, was just more than my brain could handle. And so I worked in my brain that <clears throat> it was all a big joke. <laughs> um, okay. I ended up in the mental health institution for 11 days, um, which honestly because I couldn't have my phone and I couldn't have social media. It, there was a blessing in that, to be able to disconnect and be in kind of a safe space. Um, the nurses loved me for whatever reason. They were like, Catherine, you know. And it was in the hospital. I remember this one night. Um, I could feel like my, like, I knew I was coming back to reality. And there was a nurse there who reminded me of a nurse friend who was there the night Brad passed away. So I was like, you remind me of my friend. Can I talk to you? And I was like, just kind of asked him questions about when someone dies. Because I got to sit with Brad and hold his hand and just kept wishing his spirit back into his body. I kept wishing his that the nut would come back to the shell. Yeah, <laughs> It's uh, something my... My grandpa was a big jokester, and it's something they said about him when he passed away. This is just the shell, the nut's in heaven. So I was like, (laughs) God, send the nut back, send the nut back. (laughs) So I remember asking the nurse all these questions. And um, when I woke up the next morning, I just, like, had that, oh, like, this is actually what happened. And things changed with how the nurses treated me because they realized, oh, she's not just... A crazy person she's had a super traumatic event how do you carry on yeah. after that um it's hard because in this situation you know brad had so many friends right and i knew a 
you know, a small amount of them well. And those were the ones I kind of latched onto and who kind of latched onto me to like, we're going to, we're with you. Um, one friend started a weekly game night on Zoom. It was every Thursday. Um, we would get on Zoom with a group and played Among Us and, you know, Jack Jackbox games. Um, but it was nice because it was lighthearted and it was like, get let's get out of ourselves. And um, one friend who I've told her, I'm like, you are my savior because we bonded over being tall anyway. But she <laughs> was there and every week she would call or text and she would, um, she had a membership to the gardens, Descanso Gardens and Huntington Gardens. So she would say, let's go, let's go, you know, let's take a walk. That was very healing, you know, get me out of my house. Yeah. You know, I think being in nature, um, I think we underestimate that, being living in cities. But we do have these pockets of nature around us, you know, just like having that fresh air and having, but then also like experiencing that with someone and with someone who knew Brad, like having people allow me to talk about Brad was huge. Um, like to acknowledge, you know, that how important he was, um, was huge for me. Cause that was actually an issue, um, I had with my own family on the one year of Brad's passing, my parents were in town and I was really nervous cause I'm like, you know, I'm baby girl and it's been awkward and, um, but my dad took a moment to hold my hand and say, it's okay. This is a hard time, and it's okay for you to cry, and it's okay. You know, I, I, I guess it was like that he recognized, because they've been married for almost 52 years this year, and um, they're, they love each other so much, and they're best friends, and that's how Brad and I were. So just for him to do that was like recognizing and acknowledging, I know what you lost and what you had. Um, just having that opportunity with anyone to talk about it a lot of times is hard because yeah. I'm crying, but I really appreciate <laughs> that. I have to say, this is like for you to just sit with me and not feel the need to come and comfort me is huge. Like that's the big thing. I, I never want to cry in front of someone cause I don't want them to feel awkward. And what do I do? Like nothing. You don't need to do anything. We were talking about what the gardens gave you. Yes, yes. And I don't know how I got off track. No, no, no. I think it it feels to me like it was being in that space where it was okay to be where you were. Yes. And I even got to go to Descanso Gardens with a friend who does Reiki. And we sat in the gardens and he did Reiki on me. And there was something like full circle like having been to the garden so many times with other friends and just walking around and then having him there I feel like it brought so much out I had had Reiki session with him before so I kind of had an idea of what to expect um and I remember the first time um I was like I'm gonna see if I can give him my energy and he was like you were a ball of sunshine he also did Reiki on Brad and he said his vision with Brad was sitting in a boat on purple waves. This is the nurse friend who was there the night Brad passed, and he was doing Reiki on us and kind of like on Brad and passing, and it couldn't help but 
like connect that because I watched Brad start to turn purple and um, so when he was doing Reiki in the garden like all of that came up all of those memories all of those thoughts all of the walking around the garden with friends and talking and you know releasing and a lot of the times when I would go to the garden it was the opportunity to get away from the pain and away from my home and away from thinking about how alone I was to have him there and to like feel you know healing in that moment and it's fascinating to me because he talked about because you when you do Reiki like you see visions and the person who does Reiki sees visions and he said um, I just as soon as he started I could feel the sadness and it's something I never had thought about before like feeling your emotions but that's something that he and his wife always say feel the feelings and then part of Reiki is and then let him go and so um, since Brad's passing it's like I had never thought before about how feelings feel and the feeling of sadness like became so real to me and in that moment when he was doing the Reiki I felt it in my heart and I felt it you know, like up and over my head and just like wash over me. And I just remembered just just crying profusely. Then there was calm. And I remember the earth. I could smell like, it's like, I've never smelt the earth, like the dirt. It did not smell like so strong and so fresh and so alive. And he, his vision was that he saw a rock, but that had cracks and that had water flowing over it. And he saw three seeds, and he put the seeds in the rock. And when he was, like, having that vision is when I was smelling the earth. And it just was that idea of of growth and newness and, and healing. And that in the brokenness, there can be healing <laughs> and something beautiful that can come out of it. I can't imagine a better image of healing than a stone cracking open, dropping seeds into the fragrant soil, and watering them with abundant tears to illustrate where Catherine is on her journey. What will grow here is yet to be seen. Sunrise doesn't last morning. A cloudburst doesn't last all day. Seems my love is up and has left you with no warning. It's not always gonna be this great. must pass away Sunset doesn't last all evening Mind can blow those clouds away After all this my love is up 
and I must believe it. It's not always gonna be this great. All things must pass. All things must pass away. another day Now the darkness only stays at night time In the morning it will fade away Daylight is good at arriving at the right time It's not always to be our lounge. In honor of Valentine's Day, I hope you'll remember that life is like a box of chocolates. It's mostly delicious, except for the pieces that are horrible. Here's the who did what. Life from the Lounge is produced by Anne Kloss Farley. Matt and Carol Almos write our radio shows. In The Great Resignation, you heard Carol in the main role, and our special guest, Tish Hicks, as everyone else. Double Batch Daddy wrote and played 101 Way. Val Vigoda and Ryan O'Donnell arranged and performed All Things Must Pass. John Ballinger composed and played our theme song. Charles Dayton created the soundscape for The Big Question. And many thanks to our guest, Catherine Venable, for sharing her process of letting go with us. And I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge. <laughs> <laughs>